Simon Wiesenthal was the foremost Nazi hunter in the years following the Second World War. He was a Polish Jew who saw his own grandmother killed by the Nazis in a stairwell of his own home. He saw his mother pushed into a cattle car from which she never returned. He lost 87 of his relatives to the Holocaust. And he wrote the book, The Sunflower, after the war in which he detailed his experience as a prisoner working in a Nazi work camp where he was assigned to be an orderly in a prison hospital, sweeping floors, mopping floors, putting out the garbage. And one day a nurse came up to Simon Wiesenthal and grabbed him and asked him quickly, are you a Jew? And she hustled him through a labyrinth of hallways to a private room where lay an SS officer approaching death. He was wrapped in gauze so that his eyes were covered. Only his nose and his mouth and his ears were exposed. And Wiesenthal writes of of the experience uh, as this SS officer says this. He says, my name is Carl, and I must tell you this horrible deed. I must tell you because you are a Jew. Carl reminisced about growing up with his Catholic upbringing and his childhood faith and how he'd lost it all in the Hitler Youth Corps. And Carl went on to explain how he'd been stationed in Ukraine and his unit stumbled upon booby traps that ended up killing 30 of his fellow soldiers. And as an act of revenge, the SS rounded up 300 Jewish people, herded them into a three-story house, doused it with gasoline, and then fired grenades at it. The details are too gruesome to go through, but he remembers particularly one young boy with black hair and dark eyes whom he murdered. Carl said this, he said, I am left here alone with my guilt. And in the last hours of my life, you are with me. I do not know who you are, I know only that you are a Jew, and that is enough. I know that what I have told you is terrible. In the long nights while I have been waiting for my death, time and time again I have longed to talk about it with a Jew and to beg your forgiveness. Only I don't didn't know if if there were any Jews left. I knew... I know what I am asking for is, is almost too much for you. But without your forgiveness, I cannot die in peace. Will you please forgive me? Wiesenthal, who had been an architect back in his 20s and was now a prisoner, dressed in a shabby uniform, marked with a yellow star of David, having lost everyone he loved could feel the immense crushing burden of his race bearing down upon him. He stared out a window. He stood. He thought. And then he says, at last I made up my mind. And without a word, I left the room. Wiesenthal wrote the book Sunflower to ask whether his failure to grant forgiveness was itself pardonable. He asked scholars, he asked theologians, he wrote to professors and artists and poets seeking their opinion about what he had done. He asked Jews and Catholics and Protestants and atheists, he asked priests and rabbis, and he wrote a book 
about all of their responses, one American professor said, the enormity of the crime exceeds all possibility of forgiveness. A novelist wrote to him, let the SS man die unshriven, let him go to hell. And one Christian scholar wrote, I think I would have strangled him in his bed. Philip Yancey, who writes of it, says this. says, I was taken aback by the near unanimity of the responses. I expected more from the Christian theologians, at least that they would speak somewhere of mercy. But in a world of unspeakable atrocity, forgiveness indeed seems unjust, unfair, and irrational. And yet when Jesus teaches us to pray in the face of unspeakable hardship and cruelty and abuse, in the face of injustice, He teaches us to pray saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To take a forgiving heart against those who have treated us wrongly and take that forgiven heart to God to intercede And beg forgiveness for those who have treated us with cruelty. It seems impossible. We're going to read a chapter out of the gospel according to Matthew. Himself, a shameful sinner, a tax collector who had wounded and injured many, who himself was forgiven and who wrote down the words of Christ, who who recorded it for our understanding so that we might be shaped by the forgiveness we have received. It's Matthew 18. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21 and go through the end of the chapter. Matthew writes this. He says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. He begged, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This, Jesus says, is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother from the heart. We see here the challenge of Jesus to forgive. What does he want me to forgive? Who am I supposed to forgive? Well, those who have sinned against you, all of them. And I want each of you to imagine a face of somebody who has sinned against you, somebody who has destroyed your life, somebody who you're maybe still feeling the effects of what they've done to you, what they've said to you, how they've treated you. Maybe it's someone in your family or in your workplace or a business partner or, or an ex, or maybe it's a bunch of faces in your face right now. Maybe it's somebody in this room. And, 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 and I want you to have that picture as you hear what Jesus is saying, because there are all sorts of reasons not to forgive someone. You know, we have all sorts of reasons. Maybe they're not repentant. Why would I forget somebody, forgive somebody if they're not even sorry? Maybe they're going to do it again. Maybe they need to sit and understand what it is that they've done. Maybe I need to set, let them sit in their mess for a while. Maybe it'll do them good. They have to understand that actions have consequences. And besides, I was the injured party. They should come seeking me out. I shouldn't have to forgive them. And yet Jesus is speaking to you right now. And he's saying, I I know the pain you have experienced. Maybe you can't see yourself right now, but I see you. And I know the wounds that run very, very deep. I see what this enemy of yours has done to you, and I love you, and their actions are inexcusable. Maybe what they did is worse than even you realize. I mean, Jesus tells you to call them enemies. That's the category he has when he says to love your enemies. He's not sugarcoating anything. He's saying what they've done is worthy of hell itself. And now is the time that I want you to forgive them. Jesus mentions forgiving a a brother, a fellow Christian, but it applies elsewhere. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. That's all debtors. In Colossians 3, Paul writes to, 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 to forgive one another if you have any grievance against anyone. Uh, St. Stephen, the deacon, in the book of Acts, as they're stoning him, it says, while they were stoning him, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, he's talking about his murderers. Lord, as the bones are, are breaking, as he is bleeding, as he is bruised, as he is in the process of dying, he is praying for these men around him, throwing stones at him. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And standing there, approving of his death, was a Jewish man, a scholar by the name of Saul, uh, Saul Paulius of Tarsus, who was approving of it. And yet Stephen had just prayed to the Lord, that is praying to Jesus himself, saying, Lord, please do not hold Saul's sin against him. And Jesus heard and he said, okay. And he converted Saul and changed his heart and brought him to repentance and made him an apostle to the Gentiles who himself would suffer just as Stephen had suffered. Jesus isn't telling you to forgive people because you dislike them or because they annoy you or because they declined your offer when you asked them out on a date. He's not saying forgive people because they disagree with you or because they're of a different culture or different life experience. He's not saying to forgive any of these sorts of people because these people owe you nothing. Your issue with these people is your issue. He's saying, I want you to forgive the people who have wronged you, who have sinned against you. The other people, you need to get over it. 
and quit judging them on human standards. But the people who have sinned against you, you, they have a debt to you. And he's saying, I want you to release that debt. I remember sitting in this sanctuary, gosh, over a decade ago with a man, angry, angry man, who very thin-skinned, took offense easily. Uh, uh, and, and I remember there was somebody who had, who had, who had slighted him in a, in a small way, but in a real way, and it was a real sin. And, and, and I was telling him, dude, you have to forgive them. And he said, but they wronged me. And I said, that's the only category of people you will ever have to forgive. And if you cannot forgive the people who have sinned against you, there is no forgiveness in your heart. Understand the consequences in your unforgiveness and resulting anger and bitterness and judgmentalism. The only person it's going to imprison is you. Unforgiveness, it gets inside of us. It twists our hearts and deforms us. It pushes out the light and encases us in darkness. We hold on to the wrongs, thinking that it's going to make us strong, when all the while we're erecting bars that encase us, putting ourselves in chains and enslaving our souls, building a prison of bitterness that warps the soul. At the end of this parable, the only soul that remains imprisoned is the one who refuses to forgive his debtors. Unforgiveness, it sits in you like a Chernobyl spewing its contamination and fallout over your soul and over the souls of those around you. And your sweet king brings you the key to the cell door. He can set you free if you're willing. Don't stop up your ears when he's speaking to you. Unforgiveness will imprison you in darkness and gnashing of teeth under jailers that will devastate your soul. What does big-hearted Jesus say at the end of this parable? As a pastor, I dare not soften the blow. He says, so it will be with you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. What does forgiveness mean? It means you cancel the debt. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. This is Jesus telling the Presbyterians to delete your blog. Don't post on Facebook anymore. But be kind, continuing, that was not in the text, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. 1 Corinthians 13, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of. I remember in college, the guy who who discipled me for two years, a guy named Bill, he knew everything about me and loved me and was the gospel to me and, and was the reason I ultimately went to, to seminary to, in the first place and ended up in ministry because he saw the gospel in me as something incredibly powerful, which I couldn't see. And yet I remember for two years he took me under his wing and then he moved away and one of the other staff members in the campus ministry started to to take me under his wing. And, uh, and I didn't really get along with this other guy because he was not Bill. And, uh, and, and I was too immature, uh, spiritually and emotionally to understand that what was wrong with this other, you know, campus minister was that he was not Bill. And so I remember at one point there were five things that he had done that hurt my feelings and, and that I was really stewing over. And I remember one morning, I think it might have been a Sunday morning before church, I was trying to remember them all and I could only remember four of them and I was so frustrated with myself. That's keeping a record of wrongs. Um, that's unforgiveness. Um, because, you know, 
uh, forgiveness is canceling their debt, paying their debt down for them. Uh, it does not mean reconciliation, and it is not the same thing as trust. So those are three completely different and only marginally related things. Forgiveness is something vertical. When you can say before God, Lord, I forgive them what they've done, and I will pay their debt down for them, and I pray you give them mercy and that you change their heart and that you turn them to Jesus and, and bless them. That's forgiveness. That's vertical. That's between you and God. Uh, where you offer that. Um, that does not mean you're reconciled to them because if they're completely unrepentant and they're going to hurt you again, you can't be reconciled to them. You can forgive them. But their repentance, they're seeking forgiveness when confronted and you owe it to them to confront them. You know, if they're alive, uh, you know, when confronted, if they repent, that opens the door for reconciliation, for healthy relationships. But even that doesn't mean you trust them. I remember, you know, one guy, I've shared this story a bunch of times, abusive relationship, and uh, he would get really controlling on his girlfriend when, when he would feel the relationship was threatened. And so he would, you know, of course, that always backfires when you try to control your significant other because you're afraid that they're moving away from you. Uh, that just pushes them further. But, but he at one point had sent this nasty string of emails and, and calling her a certain name that rhymes with rich, and uh, using a bigger and bigger font. And eventually it got to like writing it out in like 300 point font. So she had to scroll down just to realize what he was writing. And uh, and afterwards he felt really guilty about it and asked her forgiveness. And she was like, well, I, I, I guess, but you need to stay away from me. And uh, and he got really mad and came to me and said, she, she won't forgive me. I'm like, oh no, she'll forgive you. But she can never trust you now. Not because of what you did. You would have to love her consistently for years before she could trust you to get close to her again because of what you did. You see, forgiveness is releasing it to God. Reconciliation happens when there's repentance. Trust happens over time. And so don't feel false guilt because you're not trusting somebody uh, when you really are forgiving them because there's a debt that has to be paid down. You know, if you if you crash your SUV through my front window and none of us has insurance, then I can either make you pay for my front window or I can forgive you that debt. But then the front window doesn't come back magically. Who has to pay for the front window? I do. And some of you, you have forgiven the person who's hurt you, but you're still rebuilding the window. You're still paying down the debt. And that means you might be at the supermarket and think of it and get really angry because you're still paying down their debt because it's still affecting you but you can still forgive them and release to God your claim of judgment and revenge over them. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This, this morning, I was just thinking of somebody who, who hurt me very, very badly last summer. And I have forgiven them. But uh, as I was thinking about it, I was tearing up, remembering the pain because I'm still feeling the pain. I'm still processing the pain. It's still there because of what they did was so deep and so painful. And so I was this morning praying for God to bless this person, that he would shine his face upon them, that he would give them eyes to see, that he would grow in them repentance because loving your enemy means praying for your enemy. Forgiving your enemy means praying for them, going to the Lord and forgiving your debtors even as he forgives you. I remember at one point about six years ago, I had so many people who were mad at me and uh, and I had a post-it note. Eventually it became a couple post-it notes 
with names next to my bed written really, really little of people I needed to pray for every single night. And it was all people who wanted my head on a platter for one reason or another because I knew that if I was going to get the gospel myself, I had to let it work out in my own heart by actively interceding for my enemies, for the people who didn't like me, for the people who wanted me out of here. Um, How many times is the question? Lord, how many times do we forgive? Like they do it once. Okay, I forgive you. You do it once. Second time, I forgive you. You do it a third time. Okay, at this point, there is no trust left. But I forgive you. How many times do you keep forgiving? And and, and the rabbinical answer was three times. Um, You know, sort of fourth strike, you're out. And Peter has been listening to Jesus. He's starting to get the gospel. He's understanding forgiveness is way bigger and way richer than we ever imagined. And so he says, no, we should do it seven times. And Jesus says, no, 77 times, or seven times, 70 times. It's a reference to Genesis 4 and, and the, the revenge of Lamech. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then let Lamech's be 77-fold. It's a number of completion, seven to the, to the seventh power, infinite, unending forgiveness, total and absolute release. You never stop forgiving because God never stops forgiving us. Um, We've got some slides this morning. This is um, Karakosh. Could we get that first slide? Um, it's uh, uh, on the Nineveh Plain east. I've shared this before, you know, maybe four or, five years, four or five years ago. It's on the Nineveh Plain east of the ruins of Nineveh, uh, east of Mosul. Uh, and it is the Christian capital of Iraq. Uh, it's called Karakosh. Or uh, if, if, if you ask one of the locals, um, the Assyrians who are Christians, they will say its name is Bakdida. Um, 96% of the city's population was Christian. That's uh, 50,000 people, and it is a city filled with churches. Both the Chaldean church and the Assyrian church had their seats there. Uh, it was a city that was therefore filled with Christians and therefore filled with singing, singing psalms, singing hymns, singing praise to Jesus, our Savior. It was a, a, a city of great joy and happiness and worship and, and, and love until this happened. Uh, the Islamic State uh, soldiers first encircled the city in August of 2014, cut off utilities and power and heating oil and food, and then eventually attacked the city itself, forcing uh, all of the city's inhabitants to flee east toward Erbil. Can we get that next slide? Uh, as refugees. They had no gasoline for their vehicles because they had been under siege, and so 50,000 Christians had to walk many, many, many miles east into Iraqi Kurdistan, hoping that they would find someone who would take them in, someplace inside where they could start their lives over again. Their, their houses were destroyed. Their, their churches were destroyed. Islamic graffiti put up over every Christian house. They lost everything. And Sat7, a Christian Arab TV network, uh, sent some reporters into a Abandoned shopping mall construction site in Erbil, the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan. It was a, a mall that had been under construction and that they then resettled these refugees in sleeping on, you know, cold concrete floors with windows without glass in them, trying to scrounge for food through charity or through whatever savings they were able to carry with them. And there's a video of a reporter. Um, it's not in English, but you can read the, oh, go ahead. That's good. You can read uh, the response here as we watch this reporter talk to children, Christian children, in the Ankawa Mall in Erbil, Iraq, in 2014. 
النهارده يا ولاد احنا هنيجي نزور مجموعه ثانيه من الاطفال في مكان اسمه عنكاوا مول تعالوا ندخل جوه ونشوف الولاد النهارده عايشين ازاي ازيك يا فلورين مليحه ازيك يا مريوم زينه انت كويسه يس طيب انتوا لما بتفتكروا ايام كراكوش والوقت بتاع بيتكم ايه اكتر حاجه بتزعلوا ان هي مش موجوده هنا دلوقتي نريد مدرستنا وكنيستنا يسوع معانا اي مكان نروح يسوع معانا هو يعني حتى هنا في المخيم يسوع معاكي؟ نعم يسوع فين؟ قلبنا طب واليسوع يبقى عايش في قلبه مش بيبقى بيضحك؟ ايه عشان كده انتوا تضحكوا صح؟ ازيك يا مريم؟ زينة انت كيفك؟ انا زي الفل، انت بتتفرجي عليه شيك فعلا؟ ايوه طب وايه رايك؟ بتحبي البرنامج؟ ايوه تحبي سات سيفن كيدز؟ ايه ايه اكتر حاجة انت حاسة ان هي كنت بتحبيها في كراكوش مش موجودة هنا دلوقتي في المخيم؟ كان عندنا بيت وكنا متونسين بس يعني هنا ما متونسين بس الحمد لله يعني الله سترنا قصدك ايه؟ يعني ايه الله سترنا؟ يعني الله حب حبنا و... وما قبل يعني يقتلونا داعش انت حاسة بايه ناحية الناس اللي ممكن تبقى خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك؟ ما راح اسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم وانت تقدري تسامحيهم كمان؟ ايوه كنت بتحبي المدرسه في كراكوش صح؟ ايوه وكنت اولى دايما كان عندك اصحاب كمان في المدرسه؟ ايوه مريم انت عارفه ان انت بطله؟ انا احب اكون بطله واحب ايضا اكون بالمدرسه لان اللي بالمدرسه يحبون المدرسه هم اللي كانوا يطلعون دائما اوائل انت علمتيني حاجات كتير قوي شكرا و... وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا و... علمتني يعني ما علمتني يعني حس... حسيت بمشاعري حسيت بمشاعري انا كان عندي مشاعر وأريد يعني يعرفون الناس إيش هي مشاعر هذول الأطفال اللي هنا You, you felt for me, uh, and she forgives. How is that possible? To forgive like that, friends, you have to know forgiveness. That's Jesus' point in this parable, that we owe this massive debt to God, and he forgives us so that we can then forgive people smaller debts. How much does the second servant owe God, or, or owe you, the second servant who owes you money, says it's 100 denarii, that's 100 days wages or about $10,000. We got a slide of that. That's 6,000 after taxes or 5,000 if you tithe. Um, that's about what you could get uh, a used Mini Cooper for uh, with like high mileage. Um, but you look at what the, so it's a sizable debt. They owe you some money. But the bigger debt that you owe God is 
specifically 10,000 talents, and a talent was 6,000 denarii, which is 10,000, 6,000-day-long periods of wages, which is 60 million days of wages for an average working person. So you owe Jesus $6 billion. That is the total gross domestic product of Montenegro. Uh, uh, that's a lot of money, yeah, of Montenegro and... Uh, uh, uh-oh, I'm out of order. Ah, end of the world. And Greenland, sorry and also Micronesia uh, combined. So that's a lot of money. Um, You know, this is a whole lot of money that we owe God, $6 billion. You're never going to pay that off no matter what kind of installment plan you get, like a dollar a day for 6 billion days. That's a long time. Your only hope in that case is forgiveness, that the king pays off your debt for you, that he eats the cost himself and your king looked with you with pity and mercy and compassion and saw your predicament and his heart went out to you uh, with your infinite debt and so so you're forgiven Um, you know I've shared the story many times of of Jeffrey Dahmer uh, the cannibal from Milwaukee serial killer who between 1978 and 1991 had 17 victims whom he killed and ate uh, in 1992, he was sentenced to 15 life terms for murder. Uh, 1991, he requested a Bible in his cell. And over the next couple years, he talked regularly with Reverend Roy Ratcliffe. And in 1994, he professed faith in Jesus. He asked Jesus to forgive all of his sins. He trusted Christ to have done that on the cross. And he was baptized by Reverend Ratcliffe in the prison whirlpool Six months later, he was beaten to death by a fellow prisoner and entered immediately into the presence of his faithful Savior, Jesus, as one who is washed and clean and worthy of all blessing, clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the degree to which you feel a need to put stipulations or qualifications on that is the degree to which you do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel of Jesus says that we are far more sinful than any of us could imagine, yet far more loved than we could ever dream. How is his sin any different from your sin? How is it any different from my sin? It's six billion dollars. Maybe his is six billion seven dollars. Maybe mine is five billion nine hundred seventy-three million eight hundred twenty-four thousand and six dollars and some change. I, but the point being, we're that bad. We're that broken. And we're that loved because it's that big of a debt that Jesus has lifted off your shoulders so that you will never carry it again. Jesus says here, I have to go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He's on his way to the cross to absorb all of my sin, all of your sin, all of Jeffrey Dahmer's sin, all of Mariam's sin. Because God is a lovestick father who welcomes and forgives at such a great cost, at such a great loss, and he does it freely and generously on the cross. Think of the loss the father felt in handing over his son, yet he did it, and he did it willingly because he loves you. He forgives you seven times, 70 times. Infinite forgiveness, never-ending forgiveness. A prodigal God who kisses his wayward children with the kiss of total forgiveness and the embrace of absolute love. Only God's kiss could do this. Take filthy and unfaithful people like me and melt my heart and forgive me and move me by his love to turn around and forgive the people who have hurt me the most. Forgive as the Lord forgave you.
We got one more slide here. This is Corey Tenboom. She was a Christian in Holland when the Nazis took away her family. Her family had hid Jews in their home until discovered. And then because they had harbored Jews, they themselves were sent off to concentration camps. Corey's father died and Corey's sister died. And after the war, Corey Ten Boom went around speaking about Christian love and Christian forgiveness. And then one day it finally happened. This was the day it happened. She says this. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen. This is the man who had run his hands over my sister's body. She says, it all came back to me. The mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister's pain-blanched face. And this man came up to me as, as the church was emptying and he was beaming in his face. And he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Lord Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And when he tells us to love our enemies, the Lord Jesus gives, along with the command, the love and forgiveness itself. Friends, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray, Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would give us your forgiveness for our neighbors, for our friends, for our co-workers, and Lord, especially for our enemies, that you, Father, would have mercy. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.